One thing I always tell retirees is retirement is not about those high returns. It's about navigating your journey of retirement to have that amazing retirement. And the way you get that amazing retirement is having the highest probability of success and the least amount of stress. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement plans. The Retire Happy Podcast, here once again with San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, John Amarino. I'm Walter Sorholt. Welcome to the show. Hoping to make you a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser when it comes to financial matters on today's program. Let me tell you a little bit about John in case you're new to the show. He's a fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, serving you throughout the San Diego area. And you can find us online by going to gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. Com. John, we tease listeners last time on the show that we're going to be talking about mortgage rates on today's program. So I'm sure anybody that's tuned in and listening right now is pumped up for today's conversation. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure this <laughs> podcast and pumped up is always goes together, right? It's riveting well, it stuff. It is the Retire Happy Podcast, so <laughs> maybe they're in a little bit more of a zen-like state, you know, for retiring happy here, maybe not pumped up. But no, I mean, I think this is going to be a really good discussion because, I mean, let's look at it. Mortgage rates, refinancing, uh, whether you're buying a house or refinancing, um, this is a really interesting time right now. I mean, yeah, mortgage rates have been pretty low for a long time, but over the last couple of months, we've seen them yet again hit historic lows, dip below 3%. It's pretty interesting to look at this. And I think other people who are wondering, should I refinance? Is now the time to buy? You know, these are all like really good questions for folks to be asking. So we've discussed this uh, on the podcast before in a couple of different ways, shape, and form. But I think you have come to find that a lot of people just don't get solid advice when it comes to mortgages, even if they're working with a mortgage broker or a real estate professional. And it's kind of sad that they're not getting the best guidance possible. Um, you've seen this kind of play out multiple times before, right? Yeah. You know, um, it, and it kind of goes back to our holistic planning. Um, mortgages is a huge expense, you know, whether you're retired or not. You know, I could see some potentially poor advice being given, especially when it comes to investment arbitrage. And and yes, you can make the argument it's it's a low interest rate and mar- you know, environment now, you know, 2.75, 3%. And, you know, you could probably do, you know, better in the stock market. So don't, don't put that money in, invest it and, and grow it with the arbitrage. I can understand that. And that interest is tax deductible. And really with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you know, that's not really sound anymore because unfortunately most people aren't itemizing their taxes. So they're under the standard deduction. So, you know, there there could be some things that things have changed. And, and I've talked about this time and time again before. Planning changes a lot, you know, even on the on the professional level. And, you know, they're saying now a lot of I'm not talking about the salespeople. I'm not talking about the brokers or the agents. You know, I'm talking about planners are are in the, the mastermind, the nerd's eye groups that I belong to, you know, on our conference calls or, or on the webinars, we're saying, listen, you you know, for really conservative investors, you might want to start looking at paying off the mortgages as a sound solution. So that's why we're having this podcast today. Well, let's start with interest rates. I mean, interest rates for the last couple of months, as we mentioned, have been low, below 3% certain weeks. 
it's awesome. I mean, we should all be taking advantage of this if you can. As a matter of fact, we've even discussed that you've taken advantage of the low interest rates on refinance, and I did too recently. Yeah, yeah. You know, Walter, interest rates have been phenomenal, you know, uh, over the course of this year. Um, my wife and I did uh, take advantage of the refinance. We did 2.7% on a 30-year fixed. I know you were 15-year, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, we lowered our payment about $400 a month down from uh, what it was at 4%. So interest rates are low, and that is a great thing if you're buying a home or a car or, like in our case, an RV. So it's great for purchasing, not great for bonds, um, for your fixed income. But um, the first thing I want to talk about here is refinancing your home, because that's where I, I think the first thing that people run to is the refinance, just like you and I did. Um, if you're refinancing your home, the first thing you need to understand is that when you're getting a new home loan or you're refinancing it, is that for at least the first six, seven, or eight years, you may be paying, or, or actually you more most likely are paying more in interest than in principal. So the old adage as well as you're getting a positive arbitrage because you're using that extra money to invest and write off the interest deduction, you know, as we said, that doesn't always hold weight. So even if your payment's lower, you have to understand that, you know, if you just took back on that 30 years again, and you know maybe you know you're using the extra money as an investment that that's fine but you you have to understand that you're paying the bank a lot more money for that and is that investment you kind of have to scrutinize is that investment really worth it so you have to understand that the interest is being paid up front well again what about the interest deduction well sorry you're you're not able to deduct that anyway. So um, we really want to look at the power of paying off your home as fast as you can. And, and that's where I'd almost like to segue uh, this talk too. Because as I've said in the past, retirement is a liability. Now that sounds negative, but it's true. You're responsible you know, for the most people that don't have pensions. You're responsible for funding your own retirement. And not only do you have to fund your retirement, but you have to fund your own medical care, you know, uh, above and beyond Medicare, you know, potentially long-term care. And you also have to understand about the marginal tax traps of Social Security, Medicare, and required minimum distributions that we've, I think, really beaten into the ground over the last year in this podcast. One thing I always tell retirees is retirement is not about those high returns. It's about navigating your journey of retirement to have that amazing retirement. And the way you get that amazing retirement is having the highest probability of success and the least amount of stress. And for more conservative investors, paying off your house, especially nowadays under this new tax code, is the way to do this. Because if you pay off your house, and let's say you have a mortgage payment of $2,000 a month, right? That's $24,000 a year in expenses that you will no longer have. And if you're using your IRA to fund that $24,000, well, guess what? You don't have to take that money out anymore. And if you're not taking that money out of your IRA, it's less susceptible to sequence of returns risk. Remember that taking that distributions 
And if you have to take out those distributions to make that monthly payment and the market drop like it did in March, you're, you're now susceptible to, to that sequence of returns risk. So you don't have that $24,000 mortgage bill. And guess what? You no longer have to pay tax on that money. And remember, you're not only paying ordinary income tax on that money, but you're also increasing that provisional income that taxes your social security and potentially the IRMA tax on Medicare. So now if you do pay off your house, understand that you need to have the proper amount of insurance in the event of any type of accident because creditors love a fully paid house. So, you know, we really want to, if, you, if you're a very conservative type of person, you know, perhaps focusing on really paying that house off, which may in some cases mean staying at a 4% rate instead of re- refinancing down to 2.7%. That's all things you have to look at, like how, how you can use that refinance to your advantage. And maybe it's not, but the most efficient way to quickly pay off your house in retirement could be a huge, huge advantage to having an amazing retirement with less stress. So when we talk about paying off the house sooner, I mean, how do you recommend that folks take that approach? Well, I've heard various ways over the years of of doing this. I've heard some people, oh, use your home equity line of credit, which I'm not a fan of. I I see where they're going with the daily the daily interest and whatnot, but I think there's just too many variables, too many moving parts. I've also heard of obviously just paying off the 15 year loan, which I know you know. Last podcast we talked about, it. you did right, Walter. Yep. Um, you have your 15 year fixed loan, and and you said because you went from such a high rate down to such a low rate that really the 15 year fix you know, that loan is going to be paid off, you know, by the time you're what, 50 years old. Yeah. But before our fifties, we'll be, uh, with, without a, without a house payment, which will be pretty sweet. Right. So Walter's obviously young. Um, but but good on you, Walter. Good on you. I'll be close to 50 when it, when it pays off. So, (laughs) you know, that, that is definitely, and I know you said that your payment really didn't, Co up that much, so yeah, a cu- couple hundred, couple hundred bucks up, but in the grand scheme of things, it, right. it you know, I, worthwhile for a little bit of it, it won't be enough higher to create really a lifestyle change. Right. So it was sort of a why not commit to a little bit higher and and look at the payoff. Right. So I I completely understand that thinking. I my best advice that I I really like utilizing is a thirty year fix that tries to actually mimic a 15-year fixed loan. So that's kind of the advice I like to tell people. All right. I, I think I've heard this argument before. Um, why not just go with the 15-year? Because you do get the lower rates with the 15-year. I, I think you're going to make an argument for get the 30, treat it like a 15. But at the same time, you're also giving back a little bit on the rate in those situations. So I'm interested to hear your reasoning. Right. And, and that's a great question. Like I said, in your case, you know, I, I think you, you make a great argument. Um, why I'm in favor of a 30-year versus the 15-year, especially in, you know, in such a low interest rate environment that you know, there's not a, a tremendous amount of difference in the rates. The big reason why 
especially for retirees or, you know, pre-retirees where, you, where you're really close and you may not, you know, in retirement, you don't have that, that salary where you might be able to work, you know, overtime or, or whatnot, is that with the 15-year, you obviously have a larger mortgage payment. So let's say, for example, you had a $3,200 a month mortgage payment for a 15-year versus a, let's say, a $2,000 a month mortgage payment on a 30-year. You're locked into that $3,200 payment. So if an emergency occurs, you better have at least a six-month reserve because in the case of a, a job loss or, or COVID, right, COVID 2021, God, I hope that doesn't happen, you're responsible for that $3,200 payment. You know, the bank doesn't care that you chose the 15-year. So that's why I like the 30-year mortgage because it gives you the flexibility, right? You would only have in, in that emergency, you only have to come with that up with that $2,000 a month mortgage. Now, if you have the 30-year, I recommend doing biweekly payments. Most companies allow this. Please make sure to ask them if they have any fees on that um, because they're not keen on it because they have to set up the two payments a month. But for a lot of people, this, and I do it myself, um, it doesn't mess with the budgeting, right? I'm budgeted for those biweekly payments. And by doing biweekly payments, you're actually, instead of making 12 monthly payments, you're making 26 biweekly payments. And you actually, um, when you split that, you know, divide that, you're actually making 13 monthly payments a year. So you're getting that one extra payment a year. And it's really not shocking your budget. And really that biweekly approach could take five or so years off your mortgage. So you really can turn that 30-year mortgage into a 25. Additionally, you can also pay more premium a month. So in our case, we shaved off $400 a month and we're going to do the biweekly payments. But what we're actually going to do is we're actually going to pay uh, instead of the 400, we're, gonna, we're just going to say, hey, our mortgage is, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep the mortgage at what it was and we're going to add an extra 100 bucks. So we're actually going to be paying $500 in addition to the biweekly payments a month. And that's going to shave even more time off of our, of our mortgage. You know, now, we're, now we may be down to 19 or 20 years, to, you know, depending on the schedule. So, you know, now we're getting close to 15 years. Obviously, you can bump that up. You know, in this case, you could pay the $1,200 more a month and you could get that down to perhaps less than 15 years. And in the event of an emergency, well, then you, you have the option of not paying that extra $1,200 a month. So, and again, the quicker you pay off your mortgage, the less interest you're paying the bank because, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you're paying the bank, you know, almost, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars over the life of that mortgage, you know, depending on the size of your mortgage. Another option is that, you know, I've had some people, they come across an inheritance and they say, hey, we want to put down 50000 or $100,000, you know, to pay off a big portion of our loan. And I actually had a conversation with this uh, with a, a buddy of mine who's a mortgage expert. And he said, if that's the case, that you actually may be better to call the company and say you would like to recast your mortgage. So essentially, you're going to put down that $50,000 or that $100,000, and they're actually going to lower your mortgage based on your outstanding principal. So that's another thing where you, you always want to run the numbers be, before making any of these decisions. But if you do have a large amount of money to put down, call and ask them 
about recasting and then from there do the biweekly payments, run the numbers, see how much of that maybe you know, you might not want to put down the whole 100,000, maybe you put down 50 or 75,000 and then you pay the $25,000 um spread out in extra premium payments. So, you know, uh, a couple things that I think can go a long way to helping you pay off your house and you know with the low interest rates right now this strategy may be a good fit but again it's really important to discuss that with your financial advisor let them run the numbers let them you know maybe ask you know guide you and saying hey ask your mortgage person about running this amortization schedule or this or that so you have the information to make the best decision Helpful info, John. I think it's interesting. Um, we did have conversations like this when we were evaluating the 15 versus the 30 year. You just put it more uh, more eloquently, I think, than our conversations went. But yeah, looked at the benefit of, well, look what we're on the hook for, um, you know, 15 versus a 30 year. Now, we're a two income household. And with the wife, uh, you know, with Connie in the medical field, uh, feel relatively good about her job security and those kinds of things. So that's why we decided to go with the 15 year. But we definitely had that discussion of, uh, you know, if we'd been a single income household, we might have decided probably to go with the lower payment. And then when we can, or with a strategy like you've laid out, pay extra. But we felt safe sticking to that plan. And I also just like, uh, I like having that forced savings. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a mental aspect to that that can be helpful too. I know you can be just as disciplined and do it the other way, but I like that it's sort of done for you. I know that I'm building equity and and you know doing it relatively quickly with the 15 year. So right. So it, there's a mental aspect that was attractive to me there as well. And you know what? I mean, it, listen, if you only have six or seven years, and you know, let's say you could go down, like in your case, from a five percent or six percent. Because you never refied, because you know you you, you got to be aware of all those closing costs. And I know you said you had zero closing costs yeah. and, and all that, but you got to have to be aware of all that. You know, but you know maybe you only have seven or eight years. Well, maybe you do a fifteen year and take the same approach to have it paid off in eight, right? So you mm-hmm. you get the fifteen year. Uh, maybe your mortgage payments, you know, actually maybe even lower based on your outstanding principal. And uh, or the same, and maybe you take the approach of the biweekly payments, and maybe that biweekly payment schedule by itself pays you off in in six or seven years. You know, it's um, you know, it, there's several different things that you should look at and uh, and take into consideration. But you know, at least taking a look, it doesn't hurt to take a look at a refinance and see how you can make them the numbers work for you. Worst case scenario, you say it doesn't. Man, you don't do anything. I really liked your point, however, about making sure that if you're going to go with that 15-year, build up that emergency fund, and that's what we're doing right now. My my goal is to get it to, um, I, don't, I don't know if a, a year is realistic. I, I want to get it to six-month emergency fund plus six more months of mortgage. That's that's my goal. So it's like six months of total living expenses, but then six more months of just the mortgage fund. Yeah. Um, that's sort of my goal for, uh, you know, so our next savings goal is to try and, you know, build up to that over the next couple of, uh, next couple of months. So, but I think that's great advice. Make sure I you, think, if you're going to take on the more risk, put more buffer in place. Yeah. That makes and that, that's sense. extremely smart to really try to build up to 12 months because I mean, especially now, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think this that's, year has been COVID a good example. Really, yeah. Yes. You know, things six months for, you know, people, oh, three to four months, I won't need that. Well, you know, now they're finding out that, you know, three to four months, yeah, they definitely need it, or they're depending on the government, which is dangerous. 
Yep, exactly. Um, that, that, that may not work out well all the time in the future. And you may think, well, this was just a once in a lifetime event. So we're good now. You know, we've had a lot of things happen in the last 20 or so years in this country and a lot more things I think are going to happen as well. So good to be prepared, save up some extra for future things. Don't have to live in fear, but be, be prepared. And you know, Walter, I think, you, you know, you brought up a good point, you know, again, this like anything is very individual. You know, you just don't go on YouTube and go, oh, hey, you know, what? I'm going to do this, this, and this because, you know, this is good for this person, you know, to each their own. But I think, you know, in, in your case, you said you looked at all these, you know, you, you do financial podcasts. You're, you're very savvy because you're always talking with financial professionals and you're, you're even seeking out advice when, when we talk. But as long as you had that, all that information, you felt comfortable with that decision. That's the most you know, important thing. I, no one can ever go, go back to you and go, oh, well, no, you, you chose poorly. You should have done this. Well, no, I knew about that. I looked at all my options. I looked at the numbers. Here's why. And and again, like you said, not only are you building up that six month, but you're building up that six month, you know, bear market reserve, uh, you know, for the mortgage in addition. So eyes wide open, eyes wide open going into the decision. That's for sure. So you brought up an interesting point about taking a 15 year and making it lower. And it strikes me that a lot of our conversation today has been about 30 and 15 year mortgages. But we have a lot of listeners who may be in a little bit different situation, John, where they may be only a couple of years away from retirement. And I'm sure it's a common question that you get about people trying to decide, all right, well, should I just go ahead and pay the house off completely or really accelerate my payments and try to be you know, paid off of the house before I hit retirement? And I know that there are some arguments to both sides of that equation. So what are some of the benefits, or if you want to throw out some cons as well, of paying off your house you know, early or, or rushing to do it or trying to do it quickly. Yeah, well, and you know, uh, I'll be honest with you, Walter. I mean, this has really kind of evolved for me in the last year, really. I, I mean, really since the beginning of this year because of, of the national debt and the new tax code. I mean, again, planning's evolving. So um, let's Are you really... telling me you changed your mind on something? Yeah, yeah. John well, Amarino, this man of principle who has strong opinions, has changed his mind on a topic? Well, evolved. <laughs> I, in, I mean, there were some people who, you know, I'm not saying, oh, hey, listen, you don't don't pay off your house. That's, you know, but I think for, you know, a lot of the people, especially with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and that increased standard deduction, you know, the more conservative investor... Um, again, it's not for everybody, but it's not a bad thing to look at. And, and just like uh, you know, the the laws change, the tax code changes, planning changes, right? And we saw that a lot with the Secure Act, and and you know, that's where I've kind of really evolved into saying, you know what, I've been one of those guys that you know was a positive arbitrage guy, and I I still sit there and say, hey, in some cases, yes, but. Okay, hold on, hold on. A positive arbitrage guy. You got to uh, explain that for the lay listener. Okay. So, you know, um, I did this when we bought our SUV. I had a 1.99% APR. Instead of paying cash for the car, um, which we could have done, we financed it for 66 months. And I allowed that money in the bank. I had a, you know, uh, I, I conservatively invested it, but, you know, I earned about four and a half percent. So that money that would have gone to, you know, paying off the car in lump, I was able to go ahead and make money 
on the the money I that I had invested, right? I didn't dis, I didn't take distributions so that money grew and it worked out in that case. But again, gotcha. I'm not retiring, right? That's mm-hmm. money that I built the auto payment into my monthly bills and my expenses and I knew it. You you're you and you're leveraging the fact that you might be able to make more than what your what your debt is. That's that's a, the definition of positive arbitrage. Correct. Right? But gotcha. you said the key word and this is the this is, you know, a, a big thing, especially when you're talking about a much bigger interest payment uh, with a home is you might you might not and, a guarantee. And, yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of uncertainties going on, you know, in this country. And, you know, there, there's also a lot of projections out there forward future that you know, don't really look rosy for the markets. And who knows? Who knows what, you know, could, if Trump got reelected, could he continue on his promise of making, you know, us the greatest economy in our history? Can he be able to do that with the national debt? You know, if Biden uh, or whoever is elected the Democrat president, if they get elected, you know, and, and they, they've really gone to that far left, you know, socialist ideas, that's going to come at a, a price um, with the markets. You know, the markets have shown that they don't like big government socialism. So, you know, the markets to sit here and say, okay, well, hey, I'm going to average over 3%. Yeah, I, I hate to say that. I mean, you you are taking a little bit of a, of a risk there, even with that low rate. So, you know, let's take a look at some of the other benefits. You're not having an additional expense in retirement, and that's huge because we want to keep your expenses low because that's what dictates your tax liability, right? It's not, if you don't have a paycheck anymore, it's what you're spending that dictates how much you in distributions you have to take, and that dictates your tax liability. And you know this is not a political one way or the other, but you know Joe Biden has said that taxes will increase on his watch. And if Trump's reelected and nothing changes, well, the current taxes are going to expire in 2025, and then taxes will revert back to you know just a couple percentage points up. But we have to look at that over Bush, Obama, and Trump, we've racked up $27 trillion worth of debt in 20 years. And that absolutely asinine amount of national debt, Walter, dictates that taxes must go up. That's a simple math equation. So that mortgage payment, and we're, we're using that $2,000 a month mortgage payment, that's going to cost you $24,000 a year, right? Well, what if taxes go up? So let's say right now you're in a $24,000 a year mortgage payment and you're in a 12% tax bracket. Now, when you take into account that the taxes that have to be paid to get that $24,000 net tax distribution, that means you actually have to take out $26,880 to get that net of tax distribution of 24,000. And that's just, we're not even talking about state taxes, that's just federal. So let's say your future tax bracket goes from 12 to 22%. And folks, that's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, especially if you look at our national debt, and especially if you bring on a, a socialism type of government. 
I mean, I would almost say that's almost like a best case scenario. But now you're at 22% tax bracket. To fund that $24,000 a year mortgage, now you're going to have to take out a distribution of $29,280. So because of a tax increase, your mortgage actually costs you $2,400 more a year in taxes. So you have to look at that huge benefit. The other benefit is a, you know, a surviving spouse. You know, it's an unfortunate thing that you have to discuss, but you know, one great thing is that this one less expense for the surviving spouse. And if they decide to sell the house and, you know, downsize because they're just one of them, they have extra equity that could potentially allow them to purchase their new house either wholly or uh, put more down to pay off that new house in a shorter time period. So either way, if your house is paid off, unlike an investment, it's one less expense that you have no matter what happens in the market, right? So if you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to refi. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring more money out. I'm, I have an extra $75,000 that I can put in the market. Well, that market, you know, depending on how aggressively you are, you could you know, lose a substantial amount of that money, and now you are paying more interest to the bank. So it's not for everybody, but for the conservative type of retiree, under today's tax conditions, I, I think it's feasible to look at, you know, trying to pay off your house sooner rather than later. All right. So all good conversations so far, John. I want to get into one more topic on today's show. We've t covered a lot of ground, 15 versus 30 years, paying a house off early, tax consequences, what happens if rates go up, how does that impact the uh, optics of paying off your home? A lot of ground. But let's talk about one last thing, HELOCs. Um, those home equity line of credit opportunities. Now, I know that you are a fan of HELOCs. Anybody who's listened to a couple of shows here of the podcast has probably heard you mention it before. Can you talk to us a little bit about HELOCs and how they fit into this equation in this conversation as well? Well, again, you're in a low interest rate environment. So I am a huge, huge fan of HELOCs for two reasons. Uh, number one, they shouldn't cost you anything, right? I got mine at a credit union and you know, if you don't have, it's just a line of credit. It's not a, a full uh, second loan. It's a line of credit. So, you know, in our case, we have, I think, $75,000 available to us if we need it. You know, if we have a zero balance on it, it's, it has no cost um, from the credit union. So the reason why I like it, for, I, I, I talk with a lot of people who have equity in their house and they have credit card debt. That 19%, 20% credit card debt, well, you know what? Right now, you can get a home equity line of credit. Maybe it's at 4%. Maybe it could float up to 8 But even if it's at 8%, it's a lot better than 19%. So, you know, I always tell people, get that home equity line of credit, take all that credit card debt, put it on that home equity line of credit. A lot of people will often incur credit card debt because they did some type of home repair. Well, under home repairs, if you can itemize, a home repair could still be deductible if you're itemizing on your home equity line of credit. And you know, last but not least, you talk about that emergency reserve. It's always good to have another backup um, reserve, and the home equity line of credit can act as an additional emergency fund. And why get it and just sit on it even if you don't need it? because you have to apply for a home equity line of credit. It's a loan. So you don't want to be in a bind 
and have to apply for a home equity line of credit because you might not be approved. So get it, sit on it if you have to, um, have it there as a way to pay off higher interest rate debts or have it there as a second emergency reserve. So that's why I'm a big fan of uh, home equity lines of credit. With everything we've talked about today, certainly you know, don't take any of this as gospel without first consulting uh, somebody you know, in the know about your particular situation, whether that be a, a financial advisor. Uh, you can certainly talk to John Amarino about uh, some of the things that we've talked about today in the context of your situation, um, or you know, a mortgage broker or lender or something like that that may be able to help answer some of your questions related to mortgages as well. But hopefully this provides you with a lot of food for thought on today's show if you've been thinking, yeah, I've got a little bit of a high rate. If you're kind of like me up there in the 5% range, you've been dragging your feet on, uh, you know, kind of refinancing maybe in the past, or you are looking at moving into a new home and you've got questions about mortgages and whether you should do the 30 or the 15 year, make sure, especially as you get close to retirement, you're putting that into the plan. You know, that, that can have a big impact on your financial plan. So make sure that it's not a decision that's made in a vacuum and that you're looking at this holistically. I mean, that's what we call John here on the show, right? San Diego's premier holistic retirement advisor, and we're all about that approach. So if you have any questions for John, here's how to get in touch, 858-935-6210. Don't hesitate to reach out, 858-935-6210. You can also find John online at gosecurus.com. That's gosecurus.com. And we're going to put the contact information and necessary links in the description of today's show. So go check that out and you can get more information however you want to consume it. John, appreciate the guidance and the help on today's show. This was a fun one and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next episode. Absolutely, absolutely. We will see you next month. Sounds good. That's John Amarino. I'm Walter Storholt. Hope you're well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Retire Happy Podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.